What is up, guys? And welcome back to the second episode of the You Press Play Sports Podcast. We got another loaded show on deck. This is going to be another great one. And I'm glad to say we got more people here now. Of course, we have sports editor Richard Pereira. We got photo editor Eston Parker. But now we have added the man, the myth himself, staff writer Zach Weinberger to the fold. Zach, how you doing today? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I was on the entertainment pod, so now I'm making my way to the sports pod. So I'm going to try to try have the trifecta. You know, I'm trying to be on every single pod. But no, nah, he's going to be yep. haunting your rate, your earwaves from every podcast that the UP does. But now, nah, for real, we're excited to have him here. Ready to talk some sports. But, you know, always we start off with FAU sports. We're going to start off with the soccer teams. You know, they had a couple games this week. FAU women's soccer team lost 3-0 to South Florida. And the men's team recently picked up a couple games against Stetson. Uh, Richard, Essen, you guys were at those games. What did you guys think? So I'm I'm going to take the lead on this one. Yeah. Because I was at all the games. Mm-hmm. The, the men played pretty decent for their first match against um, – I, I forget – who it was off the top of my head, but I know that, yeah, UNF, thank you. So they won one nil. It's a pretty, I mean, again, it was about what you would expect for the first game of the season. Um, You know, they, there wasn't much creativity. They had a, but their captain, I forget who scored the goal, but he hit a nice, he had a really nice free kick. Yeah, Um, that was good. Yeah. So, and then for the women's, and the first game they played Utah Valley and lost 5-1. At least they got – FAU scored the first goal. So they started the season off technically on a high note, and then, you know, we've allowed eight unanswered goals so far. So it's been pretty tough. The The second game against USF, Richard, you and I watched that. That was – I mean, the, USF just – <laughs> USF just suffocated FAU. There's no other way, other way to put it. And USF, I mean, the passes they were putting in that led up to all their goals. It, I mean, it really was like, it, it, that was pro level from what I saw. So tough start, but hopefully, especially for the women's team, hopefully they'll uh, rebound and get going in the season because it hasn't been pretty to start. While I haven't been able to watch the men's opener because I didn't have the channel to watch it, I did see the goal, and it was a very good free kick from Camarero to start FAU men's soccer very well to start off the season. Their next game against Stetson will be tomorrow at 6 p.m. I'm optimistic about their chances. Hopefully they can keep the winning their winning hopes going. For the women's soccer, they just... <laughs> Jeez. I wasn't expecting that uh, at all. I thought, I I believe I underestimated Utah Valley because I checked the record and they actually competed in their conference, especially getting to the final of their conference tournament. So I, I pretty much underestimated them as, as they clearly did against FAU, blowing us out 5-1. So there was a lot to uh, learn from there. And then the game against USF, which I did go to. And FAU just couldn't get much going offensively because, to be frank, South Florida, they suffocated us. They were – their defensive – they had basically had a defensive wall the entire game against FAU. FAU couldn't get 
any good shots on USF. And then not to mention the defensive flaws, which Esten mentioned, uh, that USF was putting in through balls. They had the, the, the sides on the field, the sides on the pitch, they were wide open for USF to take advantage of. And those defensive issues are issues that FU has got to resolve immediately. You cannot leave defensive holes on the side on the sides of the pitch like that. You yeah. know, listen, if I could just jump in, listen, I'm not I'm far from a soccer guy, but from what I know from the teams, is that the women's team was very good last season. I think they won like 15 games, um, and and we lost about like four, I, I believe. So they're starting off bad. I mean, they already have half of their losses. So that is not the way you want to start a season. And then I think the men's side, they were below 500 just about, and they started off pretty well. So uh, obviously you want both teams to thrive. You want both teams to get a winning streak going, but you're seeing kind of the opposite happen with these teams right now uh, compared to last season. And you just, you just don't want that. So um, whether it be maybe they lost players because of graduation, because of COVID, whatever, um, we're seeing kind of a difference here. Again, only one or two games things can definitely change and hopefully for the better for FAU. Yeah, and like you said, things could hopefully change. For the women's team, they have another game February 11th at Florida Gulf Coast and then February 19th at Florida. So two more tough games for the women's soccer team. The men's soccer team actually plays tomorrow, Tuesday. But when this yeah. game is probably be Tuesday, they'll have played Stetson at, Bo at Boca Raton, FAU Soccer Stadium. Then on February 19th, they'll play Jacksonville University at Jacksonville. So there is enough time for FAU soccer teams, both men's and women's, to kind of turn around their seasons, try and get on pace. But, you know, we're going to go into women's basketball because I've been trying to coin this phrase for the longest. I've told our men, I've told our women's soccer guy, not women's soccer, women's basketball guy, John DeStefano, he, he announces the women's games. I'm going to try and coin the phrase, get an Iggy with it, kind of like the Will Smith song, getting jiggy with it. Because Iggy Allen is an absolute beast. Um, so FAU women's basketball team played two games this past weekend against West Kentucky. One of them was a loss. One of them was a win. In the loss against West Kentucky, Iggy Allen had 35 points. Florida Atlantic lost 71 to 64. So Iggy Allen had 35 of 64 points. That's over half. And then next game, the next time they played West Kentucky, FAU won 75-70. Iggy Allen, 19 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals, basically filling up the stat sheet. So what have you guys seen from Iggy Allen specifically that, you know, has kind of earned her that player of the week mantra and pretty much the focal point of an FAU women's basketball team? If, if, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, I'll start off real quick because, I mean, obviously when I was uh... – Kind of my end of days when it comes became being editor in chief, I was kind of catching up with uh, women's basketball, talking with John about it. Uh, Iggy Allen was the go-to was the go-to. Um, she is a bucket in the making, and I hate to compare it to the NBA, but like when you say like she scored thirty-one points or thirty-plus points in a loss, I'm like, man, that is just it's rough. You see a lot about like that in the NBA when you see like like I think Steph Curry went on for like fifty-plus and lost. You know what I'm saying? Or, or it's just stuff like that. Um, it's a shame that, you know, the team is not performing that great to the point where we're not living up to Iggy Allen's kind of, uh, expectations, but I mean, it's just business as usual when it comes to Iggy Allen, she just, she, she should get conference player of the week every week, if, we're being, if I'm being pretty honest. So, um, but it, she's also not really selfish with the ball from what I've seen. She's, she's also, she's very, uh, she's the all around 
kind of player for FAU that they needed, but really now they need uh, players around her uh, to get better. And again, obviously that comes with recruiting, that comes with stuff like that. But from what I've seen from McGeon has been spectacular. So, And Richard, what have you seen from the women's basketball games, like from the other guy, other people that aren't Iggy Allen that can lead this team or at least provide some help? Because in that first game they played where Iggy Allen scored 35, she was 14 for 23 from the field. The next highest, nobody else made over three shots. Rita Pleskovich went one of 15. Everybody else like two for seven, two for nine, two for six, one for nine. So what what do you think of those others, you know, that can help them win? Shout out to Jewel, by the way. Go on, Richard. <laughs> so um, uh, one, men, one fact you forgot to mention about the first women's game against Western Kentucky is that outside of Iggy Allen, the team shot the team outside of Allen shot 20%. And while they did recover the next game to win that, and this women's basketball team is pretty much the perfect comparison to the Washington Wizards last season when it was just Bradley Beal and some other guys. Dude, Washington Wizards this season. Yeah, I mean, well, it's every, it's every season. At least the Wizards got Westbrook now. <laughs> but, yeah, it was basically the Wizards last season when it was just Bradley Beal and some other guys. That's basically Iggy Allen and the other players. But there are times, like, the the, the previous game where they won that Rita Pleskovich, uh, Ali Toka, Amber Gaston, Sophia Gallarone, like, they can contribute. They really can. What matters is they need to be more consistent with scoring the ball and shooting the and shooting it more efficiently because you cannot go 20% as a team and then your star player Iggy Allen scores Bradley Beal type numbers. You know, um, what do you guys think about the future of this women's team as it concerns like where they're going throughout this season? Because we're going to be entering conference play. And from there, it's only going to get tougher. It's only going to get rougher. This team has to step up outside of Iggy Allen. And if they can't do that, where do you, where do you see their ceiling in terms of in-conference USA, Eston? Uh, from what I've seen, um, I, I would hope it's not going to be an early exit or, you know, I don't, Personally, I don't see them going very far because of their over-reliance on Iggy Allen. And this is, and this isn't discredit the team, but Iggy Allen puts the team on her back every single night. And as you guys have said, the, the girls around her really have to step up their performance. And I just don't see it happening. I, I think, you know, they'll, they'll be in the games, they'll keep up, but they're not going to be able to pull out close games because they haven't, to me, they haven't proven that they can be consistent, be consistently good outside of Iggy Allen. So, again, I don't, I personally don't see them going very far, but I hope I'm proven wrong. Hey, by the way, I mean, shout out to Colby Guy who's in, who just joined us. Um, Editor in chief, Colby Guy, making his appearance, first appearance on the sports podcast, you know, um, but kind of transitioning from women's basketball to men's basketball and this past week, another round of positive COVID tests away from FAU, which means another couple of games where FAU has not played basketball. I think we did a quick look before the podcast started. 
FAU hasn't played a basketball game since January 23rd. It is now February 8th, and we don't know if they're going to play again. So with everything that's been going on, Colby, not only within FAU, but within college sports as a whole, do you think it's smart to continue to play sports right now when it doesn't look like there's going to be an end in sight to this pandemic? Honestly, like there have been other leagues who have been able to pull it off. Like look at the NHL and the NBA who have been able to get their game, their schedules going, reschedule when needed and uh, go from there. But I think when you're dealing with a bunch of college kids, especially well, there isn't really a way to police these kids. And so there's always going to be some of them going out and partying or something. Like I've heard of that and I've heard um, people talking, like even when I was covering a game once, I saw one of the players afterwards saying, oh, you want to go to U Park, go to a party or something. So I, I, I think that's something that's been happening, not just at FAU, but other schools. So like it's harder to kind of police where the student, the players go with these student athletes and get, keep them from going to some super spreader events. So in that sense, I think it might be a good, it might not be a good idea to continue playing basketball. But I mean, if they're able to get the COVID protocols in place more and be able to like get enough players to finish out the season. I think a lot of these guys do want to play, do want to prove themselves, but I feel like there's always going to be a, a problem on at least one side. So I, I, it just depends on how they're able to kind of get these players to play. And, you know, like Estes said, um, the University of Miami canceled a, co a couple of their games with North Carolina because of COVID pro protocols on North Carolina's team who just played Duke like a couple of days ago. You know, the NCAA has said they're going to try and do March Madness. It's going to be in a bubble in Indianapolis. But Eston, Richard, Zach, is there any hope that we can make it to March Madness without having another outbreak at another school? Because I don't think any of you guys know, but I've noticed, I guess the quality of play hasn't kept up like we normally have seen with college basketball. I don't know if it's, you know, the lack of like a Zion Williamson at Duke last year with like absolute star power. But even now you can see like the Kentuckys, the Dukes, North Carolinas, none of those teams are in the top 25. Like this is a rare year where no blue blood is like truly good. And you have to wonder is this because of the pandemic or is it because like these teams just don't have the guys and do, do we even make it to March Madness? Well, for I think like, as far as like none of these teams really being good, I, I just don't think there's that like X factor pro prospect like there has been in the last couple of years. Like look at last year's draft where Anthony Edwards went first. LaMelo Ball was in LaMelo Ball was that X factor prospect guy but he was playing in australia so i and then there's a couple other guys who are going to be in the nba draft next year who have decided to go to the g league so i think it's just college basketball taking a hit by a bunch of different things and there's not that like x factor prospect like a zion williamson or ben simmons before he got injured those are the two guys i was thinking that had huge buzz 
but there isn't that guy that everyone's looking for to see who's going to be drafted first overall in the NBA. Like now, like I see a lot of teams like the Alabamas and Oklahomas being ranked rather than those like blue blood schools, and there isn't really that kind of top flight prospect. Yeah, you know, listen. I want to. I also want to hear what Essen and Richard have to say about it as well. But I, to me, the question lies for me when it comes to FAU is that how many, how many games are we going to postpone until we really should just not play games anymore? Because I, again, the amount of these games that FAU has missed is just pure playing time for the boys. I mean, listen. I think right now they're eight and seven. Correct if I'm wrong there. And right. I mean, business as usual for FAU basketball. It seems like they, they just kind of go just above by five hundred and they call it a season. But you know it starts to get to the, to the players and the coaches confidence. Like, you know, we're not playing games. What happens when we face an opponent that has played games, you know, we're going to be at a, at a major disadvantage. So for me, it's like, you know, it, it's going to come to a point, hopefully not, but it, if it comes to the point where we, we, we canceled the games against, you know, USM or, or, or UTSA or, or whatever, I mean, it's going to be like, the season's just a bust. It, it, it's a mulligan. What 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 are we gonna do? Are we gonna have to do what they did with baseball and give these players who are on their senior years like another year, like an, of, of eligibility? It's like again, it gets so complicated there. But I wanna, yeah, I, I want to hear what Richard and Essen have to say about that as well. And so far, I think we can say like FAU's record is eight, seven, and six because they missed six games because of COVID concerns, not only at FAU but at other schools. So, like Zach said, Richard Essen, what are you guys' thoughts on like? how this pandemic has basically wiped out a good half of the, op- of the opening part of FAU season. When it comes down to it, uh, six games is a lot of games to miss. And we don't even know if those games are going to be rescheduled by Conference USA. We don't even know if they'll be scheduled like a week before the Conference USA tournament. Like if it was one week of basketball games being postponed, okay, but how are you going to schedule three weeks worth of basketball, three weekends worth of basketball games in one week before the conference tournament? So are they actually going to reschedule all of the postponed games for Conference USA? I don't really think so. Maybe one weekend, but I just don't really see chances of them rescheduling every game for Conference USA very likely. And FAU will have to finish its season with less games than originally intended. Personally, my, my biggest concern when it comes to all the missed games and hopefully the upcoming games, if they do play, is the soft t- tissue injuries, and particularly with someone like Jalen Ingram, who has struggled with injuries in the past. And, you know, when you don't play for, at this point, about a month, you know, there's a difference between the intensity that they're bringing in practice and then the intensity that they're bringing into the game. So I, and as you guys have mentioned, I can't imagine how their confidence, like their overall morale, how it's been, you know, we don't know how they're doing and how they're like mentally being affected by all this. But my biggest concern is again, the injuries that could happen out of this. I mean, to imagine if they go into this next upcoming, like this upcoming series and, Jalen Ingram gets hurt again, and all of a sudden he's out for the rest of the season. I think if someone gets hurt and it's a major injury, and I'm talking specifically about FAU here, obviously, then I would definitely have to consider can't just you know canceling the rest of the games because 
you're you're putting the players at a further risk, not only by playing, but you know you're you're pushing them. They don't they can't mentally prepare or prepare in the same way they usually do. So, and you know, I think one of you guys said it. Um, like Essence said, I definitely agree with the soft tissue injuries. But I think the biggest thing that we've seen in not only at FAU but college basketball as a whole is that lack of playing time. Speaking about FAU specifically. Most of this team is freshmen and sophomores. Not being on the court playing, that takes away a lot of playing time. That takes away your ability to gel together as a team. That's why we've seen those blue bloods like Kentucky, like Duke, like North Carolina. While they've recruited well and still recruited those five-star guys, at the end of the day, it's basketball. You still have to work together as a team. In order to work together as a team, you have to play together. That's why we see the Gonzagas, the Oklahomas, the Oklahoma States even, the teams led by senior and junior talent who have been there before have already known the playbook. They're the ones that are in the top 10. They're the ones that are leading the uh, college basketball world. But unfortunately, that's just the thing that the pandemic has taken away. It's taken away playing time from those freshmen, from those sophomores, from those guys that haven't necessarily gotten a lot of playing time. And it's affecting FAU a lot because those are the guys that you need to step up immediately. Even Right now, with FAU being eight and seven, those freshmen have had to step up in each of those games. Like Brian Greenlee, I know he's a sophomore. Keenan Blackshear has stepped up huge in some games. But unfortunately, it's been a thing that the pandemic has taken away. And we're a month out from March, and FAU's only played 15 games. That college basketball as a whole has had multiple games canceled, not only for small schools, but for big schools. And we're going, I think we're going to see a March Madness tournament, but what it's going to take to get there, that trade-off, I don't know if it's going to be worth it in the end. But, you know, uh, I guess we'll kind of segue away from that to, I don't know if you guys heard, but there was a big football game this weekend. I don't know. If, really? I know. It's crazy. Really? Like, honestly, I, I didn't realize the Super Bowl was happening until like Wednesday. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a thing. But the Super Bowl did happen on Sunday, and it went just about how nobody expected. Um, the Buccaneers beat the Kansas City Chiefs 31-9 to to win their second Super Bowl in franchise history, their first since 2003. Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl ring and won Super Bowl MVP as well. Um, first off, guys, what are, what are your overall thoughts on the game? I'll start with Zach. Well, first off, I do want to say all five of us did share our predictions. All five of us did. And the person who predicted the score the closest was Esten. So everyone just give no, Esten a no, Hold on. Hold on. Now, hold on. I don't give props for that because although he said the Buccaneers are going to get 31 points or something, we could nobody predicted 31 to 9. Nobody yeah, got the Chiefs not scoring a touchdown. That's one of the biggest things that kind of shocked everybody. So, Zach, what what do you take from the Chiefs, that offensive powerhouse, not scoring a single touchdown the whole game? Well, for, for me, anyways, um, uh, Tom Brady is not the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, and this, it's Todd Bowles. It's Todd Bowles because the Chiefs, I mean, listen, you could talk about the offense all the way you want. That is one of the best offenses that – anyone has ever seen play football absolutely when it starts with the quarterback it starts with Patrick Mahomes uh 25 years old 
and the guy is already it's he's the best player in the league it's like him and Aaron Donald but really it's Mahomes for me so stopping that team who can adapt to any defense not scoring a touchdown but only three field goals nine points that's absolutely amazing and again uh, I, I, I'm not going to be like, you know, former sports editor Justin Jennings when it comes to Tom Brady and his hate towards him. But here's, <laughs> um, here, but here's the thing with that is that you listen, Tom Brady, the last two Super Bowls that he has won, um, it was led by an amazing def- defensive performance. Brian Flores, current coach of the Miami Dolphins, holding that LA Rams team, which is hot on offense, the three points. And they have Todd Bowles on the, on the Buccaneers doing that. And again, I said this on Twitter, is that this game – shows the importance of an offensive line and absolutely because again jpp shaquille barrett adamica sue vita vea they feasted on backups and an injured offensive line mitchell schwartz has already gone for the year eric fisher was out in this game and it really showed uh well what was the stat patrick mahomes ran 497 yards because he was running for his life every single play and guess what happened he was still he, he again the, the the best photograph taken from that Super Bowl is him when he's like throwing a dart while not even on two feet. He's, he's in like the air. He's, he's like this. And guess what? It hits the guy's face mask. And that's the thing too. There's a lot of drops in this game. Again, I can't catch those because I'm not an NFL wide receiver. <laughs> but a guy like Tyree Kill, which it seemed like an easy catch for him at one of those plays, he it's amazing. Mahomes, I hate to say, it, even though he, they only score nine points. Mahomes continued to show why he's amazing. I hate to say it, but again, he looked very vulnerable, only scoring nine points. So again, that's that, that was my take, my only takeaway, and I want to hear everybody's thoughts here on the, as well. But that was my only takeaway was that Todd Bowles played pretty much a perfect game you can against the Chiefs. He only scored nine points. So, but again, well, well, Zach, I'm, I'm gonna I'm just gonna preface what I'm saying with this. I I think I could catch those passes. I think okay, I'm okay, okay. Hold on, hold on. This is being recorded. I want everybody listening to get that down right now. If you got a pencil, got your notes app out, write it down. Colby can got repeat, editor. Can you repeat that for me? Colby got editor in chief said he could catch an NFL pass coming at him at like thirty miles an hour in between two defenders. You know what? Let's test it. I'm going to call the cap on that. All right. We're gonna go. All right, let's let's um let's test that out. We're gonna go get an NFL quarterback. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Let's let's get Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, let's get Patrick Mahomes. We're gonna bring him down to Boca, and we're gonna let him throw passes with Colby. I want him to throw it as hard as he can, and we'll see if Colby can catch it in between two defenders. This is gonna be with or without gloves though for him. No gloves. No gloves. Uh uh. You don't get to cheat. (laughs) Who who are the two defenders? We'll we'll find out when we get there, but just know we're gonna do it. So you better okay. Be- All right, can I share my thoughts on the Super Bowl now? Thoughts on the game. Okay, so I think Zach made some pretty good points with that Bucks defense really hammering in on Mahomes. He had no time to operate, and I'm gonna give a lot of credit to that pass rush with Jason Pierre-Paul, and also the play of Devin White and Carlton Davis had a pretty good game too, shutting down um, Tyreek Hill. But very, very good game by that, that Buccaneers defense. And Gronkowski had a good game, too. He got two touchdowns. Brady did his thing, as he's always going to do in big games like this. But I think a lot of the um, blame here has to go to the game plan on Andy's re- Andy Reid's part as well. He's like, there's a lot of creative things he could have done 
like run some RPO type plays like as he usually did or have those jet sweep plays where Tyreek Hill beats the guys on the outside and uses his speed. But I didn't see any of that during the Super Bowl. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't see any of those creative play calls like they had been during throughout the season. I think they were just trying to force some passes and the offensive line kind of let Mahomes out there to die. But, like, if they would have done those, like, quick run plays and get the ball out of Mahomes' hand quicker, I feel like they could have had a better chance to score some points. Well, I think the thing is about those quick screens and the RPOs and the jet sweeps, they tried to run screens. That's the first thing that they did because they knew they had a bad offensive line. And the best thing you can do with a bad offensive line is do screens. Get that aggressive Bucks defense to come forward and then throw it right behind them as soon as they get past you. But they couldn't do that because Tampa Bay, one of the biggest things about Tampa Bay's defense, I saw in the Super Bowl, I saw it all season, they're extremely fast at every level of the ball. Like Levante David and Devin White are two of the fastest linebackers in the NFL. You can't run east to west on them. So you can try to run those jet sweeps. They'll track you down in two yards. You can try to run screens. They're quick to diagnose it. So this wasn't as much, I don't think, game planning. We're like, we say, oh, Andy Reid or Eric Bieniemy should have called a better game plan as much as it was. Everybody got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And Kansas City got punched in the mouth over and over and over and over and over until at one point it was 31 to 9. So this was more... Tampa Bay won this game. They were the most complete team for four quarters, and they showed it throughout the game. But, Eston, Richard, I want to get you guys' thoughts on the game, what you saw. First off, if the receivers for Kansas City eliminated half of those drops, I still don't think they would have won, but I think it would have made it a much closer game. I mean, Mahomes really did all you could have asked for out of him, not to mention he wasn't 100%. I mean, I think he was dealing with the turf toe, which, you know, say what you want. It's a turf toe, but still he was visibly limping on the field. Not to mention he took that massive hit from JPP, Ndamukong, Sue, and some other, I forget who else it was, but I mean, he he got, he was getting crushed all game. Um, So I think Mahomes did everything he could, but for the Bucks, what more is there to say? Gronk looked like, I think Gronk aged, less i think he looked like he was 28 you know, you know he, he had a vintage performance you know what's crazy gronk and travis kelsey are the same age that, that's yeah. unbelievable i saw that i saw that tweet chat. i had to double check for my own that that's that's insane gronk came, in the four, gronk came in the league four years earlier but him and travis kelsey are the same age that's insane to think uh, that's, you know, gronk is like past his prime and we're just like, man, he's the same age as Travis Kelsey. But Richard, what did you think of? I mean, that's just a testament to how much like damage has been on his body, how many hits he's taken in the NFL, and also just kind of looking at the NFL game compared to college football. I think I'm sorry, Richard, for cutting you off there, but like that's just a point to look at where like some of these guys, like their primes are that short because of the amount of hits they're taking. Yeah, Richard, what did you think of the game overall for Tampa Bay? You chose Tampa to win. What was your biggest takeaway from how they played? My biggest takeaway is that um, I'm glad that I picked the X Factor that happened to be right. 
it was the that was which was the Bucks defense. What I didn't expect was how many points they would allow, and they only conceded nine points to the Chiefs, which is in, which is incredible. Like they exceeded my expectations on how they would defend Patrick Mahomes and the receivers and and the running and the running plays that they would put out. They they just had a they just had the best defensive game you could ever ask for against a top offense like the Chiefs. And the box offense played well for the most part. Congrats to Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette. Mike Evans. Great. Oh, yeah, and not to mention Ryan Jensen. <laughs> Shout out to Ryan Jensen. Shout out to that Buccaneers offensive line. That's the one thing I was going to bring up. They're, yeah. They were the unsung heroes for Tampa Bay all year. They kept Brady exceptionally clean. Tristan Wirfs, the right tackle, who was a rookie, played like an all-pro. Should have won Rookie of the Year, if we were being honest. But Rookie of the Year is a quarterback award. We all knew that. Ali Marpet, the left guard, one of the best left guards in the game. Ryan Jensen, one of the best centers in the game. They absolutely negated all blitzes from Kansas City. Steve Spagnuolo loves the blitz. He couldn't do any of that because the protection was so good. And, you know, we talk about Gronk. Gronk is essentially a sixth offensive lineman with the way he blocks. He blocked exceptionally well. So this was a complete team victory by Tampa Bay. But, you know, of course, we had the uh, the next day kind of reactions. Richard, go ahead. There's one more thing I like to mention. Uh, I got to feel I, I, do, I do feel bad for Patrick Mahomes because he had to keep running away from the Buccaneers defense like that streaker was running from security at the end of the game. They, they, had, they had Mahomes out there looking like um, Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50. And, you know, the game, the thing's going to be, oh, now they have the blueprint to beat Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I guess the blueprint is make sure all four, the four starting five Chiefs offensive linemen are injured. So that means you got to take them out. Sniper rifle, um, take out their knees, get them excommunicated. From bite the- a kneecap <laughs> off, according to Dan Campbell, you know. You know yeah, bite kneecaps off. I got a couple things to mention. I guess we're going to see a Lions in the Super Bowl someday, though. <laughs> I got a couple things to mention if it's okay. That's fine. Um, the couple things that I wanted to mention, by the way, is like because Colby did mention Carlton Davis, and when when I was at Radio Row, I had to ask him like, what's the mentality going into the game? And he pretty much said like, you know, you don't want to have, even though it's the Chiefs, you don't want to stress it out. You know, again, when you're because you're just gonna put more nerves. Carlton Davis, according to PFF, he he allowed like over 200 yards the last time they met against Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill had a, had a crazy game that game, if you, if you remember. Uh, and they can shut him down. Also, it seems like, you know, there, there is an elephant in the room that's not being talked about, okay? Because, I mean, let's, can anybody answer me what was the one of the ma- major things in that first half that was very odd? Tyron Matthew trying to talk smack to Brady? No, are, we talking about, are we talking about the penalties? The flags. Yeah, the flags. That, there about. were so many terrible flags by the Chiefs, the Chiefs secondary. There's holding penalties. And there are all of these, like, really, really bad, bad times where, like, they, they think they have them stopped. And then there's also that interception that got, that got brought back because of a holding penalty. So, like, there are so many defensive holding penalties on that Chiefs, on that Chiefs secondary that it was insane. Like, they, they took way too many penalties. I think it, they, I saw a stat, and they had, like, the most first-half penalties in a Super Bowl of all time. So, so, so let me come into that real quick because here's the thing, right? Um, obviously, the, the one phrase that was, like, trending on Twitter, which is let him play, 
right? Because again, and what I ask for officiating is consistency on both sides. Uh, we didn't see that. The same thing in the Packers game, we didn't see that. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to bring up conspiracy theory. Like it's rigged for Brady. I, I really don't think it is. However, they're really not helping themselves, okay? Because it's just kind of weird. A lot of those calls favor Tampa Bay. Listen, I'm not saying that every call was just like was not good because again, there's some calls that they should have been called and they, they were very undisciplinary in that first half. But it was just the officiating made their mark on a on a big football game again, and it was just, it was just sad to see. And I mean, that's why to me, like you know, I wasn't surprised. But well, you know, because usually like it it, it just, that just happens. But but again, I, again, I'm not gonna say like that just overshadows what the defense did by allowing, by allowing only nine points, obviously not. But I, I, I thought it was important to bring that up. It was a completely different game officiating wise second half. It feels like they read all the tweets the first half and they're just like, okay, we'll just let them play now that Kansas City's like down 20. But you are correct. There were definitely a bunch of flags there. I was one of those people who said, just, just let them play. It's the Super Bowl. It's going to be physicality. Some of those holding calls, I was like, really? That's holding? And, the, you know, some of the unsportsmanlike, there are some flags where the Chiefs were like, yeah, that should have been a flag. You can't do that. The unsportsmanlike conduct, yeah, you can't do that. The extra stuff after the play, you can't do that. Because, you know, it's Super Bowl. you got to keep your head on straight. But the holding calls, it just felt like a very different game called second half rather than the first half. But, you know, there's definitely that whole thing. You know, the day after the Super Bowl, Brady wins his seventh ring. And the conversation comes up. Not only do they ask, is Tom Brady the greatest football player ever? But they bring up, is Brady the best athlete ever? So I want to ask yes. you guys, I'm going to start with Eston. Is Tom Brady the greatest athlete of all time? And if so I'm going to name who I'm you think I'm going to take the cap off for this no one because I don't think this is a no cap alert. Um I'm going to argue that he is the greatest individual athlete of all time, considering that no one in the NFL has the effect, like, individually that Tom Brady has had for a team. And at the same time, I, I, I still – I mean, seven Super Bowls, and now he proved that he not only is – he's not a, a system quarterback – with Bill Belichick, who, who, by the way, may I say he's overrated a little bit? What? Um, oh, 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 I, I hate to interrupt. Tom, Bill Belichick overrated? Well, let's, let's, let's let's on the you want me to bring the cap out? No, I, got I got my cap. I got my cap. Let, let us continue. So, so, and when you look at, like, other NFL players who have individually made a great impact on their team. The, the person I'm thinking of immediately is Joe Montana when he left from um, San Francisco to go to Kansas City. I don't think we've ever seen someone of that stat. Or uh, I'm sorry, instead of Joe Montana, uh, Peyton Manning, for example. Yes, he was able to prove that he wasn't, you know, just a system quarterback in Indianapolis, and he went to a different team and did it. But he only has two rings. And I, I would say out of any major professional sport that's, not, that's team-based, all right, I, I, can't, I, I just can't see how anyone can compare to him because, I mean, the man has a higher – he has a higher chance to make it to the Super Bowl than Steph Curry does to make a three-pointer. He probably has a better chance of making the Super Bowl than I have of actually get, like going to school 
past my graduation in a couple of years. So like the, the man is insane. I, and I should probably have brought stats out for this to hey, no problem. Uh, problem a bit better. Uh, Zach, you were one of the people who uh, physically we could see what your reaction was. But what yeah. if, if you don't think that Tom Brady is the greatest athlete of all time, give your reason why and also say who you think is the greatest athlete of all time. So I'm glad that Eston later clarified his statement, right? When you talk about team sports, um, it's hard to argue against Brady. He's been to, I mean, he's won seven, but he's been to 10 Super Bowls. You know, that's, that's this much. Okay. So it's three decades and it's accomplished. But here's the thing about the team sports, right? Is that football, it relies on way more than a quarterback to, to let alone make it to a Super Bowl. And I feel like that again, Brady has been a part of obviously Tampa Bay who had a great team around it, but obviously listen, like, and you talk about Bill Belichick being overrated. I don't think so. Like people say, oh, but who's who's better? Was it Belichick or Brady? I just think it was just the perfect match. You know, the Patriots, people get mad at me when I talk about, oh, but Brady's not the greatest. But then I'm saying, like, listen, like the Patriots are the are the best dynasty in football, period. They were, I, I should say. They were because they crafted an amazing team around Brady when they went to the Super Bowls and they won it. You know, they didn't have to rely on Brady sometimes. They relied on Adam and Terry's leg and then a defense and then the last Super Bowl against the Rams. So but again, I'm not saying that Braid had nothing to do with it, obviously. So here's so to answer the point of what I think is the greatest athlete, period. Obviously, athletic ability, that's a huge thing, and how much they dominated their sport. When I look at that, Tom Brady is not there. I think of a Serena Williams. I think of Usain Bolt, Muhammad Ali. You know, I think of those type of guys. Some, you know, it's Michael Phelps. You know, again, so team sports, that's a, it's, a, it's an important, important clarification. You know, when it comes to that. So obviously he's there. I mean, listen, obviously with best athletes, I put LeBron, Michael Jordan, whatever, but um it's not a crazy statement that he says. I mean, it's not like that's it's not a hot take to say that Tom Brady's the greatest athlete, you know, but I have others above him. And when you look at the influence that he has on every team that he goes to, I mean, I've heard people say that, oh, you know, look at the roster around Brady, it's no wonder he won the champion or the Super Bowl. Well, okay. A lot of those players weren't with Tampa Bay before the season even started. Like I'm thinking AB and Leonard Fournette, for example. And those are two key contributors to the team throughout the season and yesterday. I don't think they would have come to the team if it wasn't for Brady. I, I think the Brady effect isn't something it's something that's that reaches far beyond the field. I mean, the Buccaneers were the they had the lowest winning percentage of any mate of out of all the four major professional sports in the U.S., they had the lowest winning percentage of any franchise before Brady came in. And meanwhile, Brady had the highest winning percentage individually amongst all the four major sports. Now, when you look at it, he has completely changed. He's completely changed the culture and the whole dynamic of that organization. See, so again, I rest my case. I think he's definitely the best team, like individual athlete in a team-based sport i'm gonna say that because zach I, i'm glad you you made the the distinction between him and like olympian athletes or you know serena excuse me williams so tennis players because there is a big distinction there and that's a whole other conversation so colby where, where do you stand on this tom brady greatest athlete conversation do you, where do you think it is he one and if he isn't then who do you say is the greatest athlete of all time? 
Honestly, like Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time. That's not a question. But as far as like athlete in a team-based sport, I don't think anyone has like statistically dominated a sport more than Wayne Gretzky ever had. He holds like every single record in NHL history. And there's just been a laundry list of insane players who have been in the league since him that have not even been close to touching what he's been able to do. And he played in an era where scoring wasn't as prevalent, although goaltending was not as great either. So it evened out. But like, Retsky, wherever he went, he turned his team into an instant contender. Like, he was, he, uh, he won like several rings in Edmonton and just completely changed the culture of the NHL as soon as he came in. Like, one of Gretzky's first years in the NHL, he went toe-to-toe with a New York Islanders team that won four straight Stanley Cups. He lost the first time he met up with them in his first of uh, the Stanley Cup finals. But then the next year, he had his rematch with that Islander team that was in its five, fifth straight Stanley Cup finals appearance. He absolutely dominated in that series and then started an old little Oilers dynasty right after that. But the dude holds like every single record in hockey, and there's just not any other player in any other sport that has that type of um, statistical resume. I mean, you got you got Brady and Jordan with the amount of championships they have, but Gretzky's up there in championships, and it's it's uh, hockey's a harder sport to get get multiple championships in a row because it's how physically demanding it is. But Gretzky was able to have a long career and get so many. He 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 has like single season records, career records. He is the greatest athlete I the world's ever seen. So I saw mm-hmm. this crazy Wayne Gretzky stat that kind of like backs up um, what Kobe's saying, and I'll talk about who I think is later. But I saw a stat where if you did total points, points scored and points assisted in NHL history, number one would be Wayne Gretzky points. Number two would be Wayne Gretzky assists. That's insane. You can you can take away all the points that he scored and he'd still be top two in total points in a career. You, you can't replicate that kind of dominance. But Richard, where do you stand on this Tom Brady greatest athlete discussion? A Patriots fan, by the way. but Noted Patriots fan, Richard. Let Let's get that out there. <laughs> Keep going. In the realm of football, I'd agree he is the greatest. Is he one of the most accomplished athletes ever? Yes. But is he the best athlete ever? I'm, I'm not inclined to think that way. I think there are a few more players that would be better than Tom Brady as uh, the best athlete ever in history. As Zach mentioned, Serena Williams, Usain Bolt, Muhammad Ali, I feel more inclined to put Jordan and LeBron above Brady, and and top it and to top it off, uh, we're being a little more we're being too generous when we call Brady an athlete. We get <laughs> his athletic uh, ability. Anyone seen mobile. that combine picture? Anyone seen that combine picture? I don't think we say. Uh... Oh yeah, and Pele. Yeah, yeah. Pele. Pele. That's oh. another one too. Actually, that that that's actually a good, that's a good shout. But hey, listen, Richard said it, not me about. Tom Brady not being that good of an athlete, okay? Right, so the best in football, but not the best ever. Yeah. And here's where I stand with Tom Brady. 
I don't think Tom Brady was ever, ever had the strongest arm. I don't think he was ever the most accurate. I don't think he was ever the best on his feet in terms of scrambling and running with the ball. You could argue he was the best at pocket presence in terms of moving within the pocket. But what Tom Brady was the best at, and I think Essen alluded to it, was winning. He had that winning mentality. Wherever he went, he was going to bring that competitive competitiveness with him. That 28-3 comeback against Atlanta proved it. Yeah, that's going to rub a lot of Atlanta fans sore, but we had to mention it. But it's, I guess I'll say Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time. Greatest athlete, bar none, is Serena Williams. And I have a perfect explanation why. Who was Tom Brady's biggest rival in his career? Anybody? Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many times did Peyton Manning beat Tom Brady? How many times? Mm-hmm. What, a couple times? A couple times. You're going to guess three? We're going to guess three. Let me, let's put this up. We're going to do three. Manning one-on-one. So real, real, real quick. Real quick, I just want to say, because when people say that he that Brady is the greatest football player ever, I, I can't really argue, you know, but obviously I you're saying that he's better than guys like Lawrence Taylor, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, okay? Because to me, Jim Brown, like, I mean, maybe call me biased because of Brady, but, I mean, Jim Brown was just unstoppable, unstoppable. Uh, and the fact that he had to retire early, just, you know, it, it, it's amazing. But, yeah, you, you can't really doubt what Brady has done. So Brady is 11-6. and six against Peyton Manning. All right. Who is Serena Williams' greatest rival? No idea. Maria Sharapova? Sharapovich? Okay. Yeah, Sharapova. Serena Williams is 25 and two against Maria Sharapova. Is that even a rival? That ain't a rivalry. That's tough. That ain't no rivalry. That is a beat down. You know who made up that rivalry? Tennis. It's like FAU, FIU. Tennis media, yes. Tennis media made up. Tennis media made Maria Sharapova lose 25 times to Serena. You know, I know why, because they made her to be Serena's rival. And Serena's like, I ain't having that. So I'm gonna <laughs> beat you down every time. Okay, but we don't go Serena. Or we don't go Sharapova. Venus Williams. Serena's 19 and 10 against Venus Williams. You can't, there is no rival for us to say like, Serena had trouble against this person. She is in her own league. She's like, I think she's third in total Grand Slam, second in singles. And again, she won an Australian Open while pregnant. I, I don't, that's the, insane. The, the, does the kid also get the victory for that then? I don't know. We'll have to go, we'll have to check the record books. But definitely you know, some motivation. I think there is a distinction that we need to make between individual and team because yes. individual. I give individual like sports a whole lot more weight to being the greatest athlete than team because a team person can play real bad and that team can still win. You know, we say it a lot with Brady. We mentioned it earlier. Brady didn't have a great game against LA in the Super Bowl. They won that Super Bowl. Julian Edelman won that MVP. You can't have a bad day as an individual athlete or you, you're going to lose. You're not going to blame it on anybody else. Like, if Usain Bolt has a bad day and loses, you don't blame it on anybody else. You blame it on Usain Bolt. Thing is, Usain Bolt doesn't lose. So he's also among the greatest athletes of all time. Simone Biles, 
arguably the greatest gymnast of all time, Pele. If we go into combat sports, John Jones is still undefeated. That's like still a thing. He is, he might be the greatest fighter ever. He's arguably the greatest athlete ever. But in terms of told in all greatest athlete ever, there are a bunch of people I put before Brady, but Serena Williams is a tier above everybody else. Like it goes Serena, then it'll maybe go like Simone Biles, Usain Bolt, then like Tiger Woods, then, maybe, Ali. then like Tyson Ali, and Lionel Messi. Messi, but maybe you then you go with the team guy, the team sports guys, and you can sort out the guys in team sports. But when you talk about the greatest athlete of all time, your list got to start and end with Serena, because dude, like I said, her greatest rival. I guess, is Maria Sharapova. She was 25 and 2. Well, here's the thing. I mean, when it comes to like a good rivalry, they kind of go back and forth with each other, okay? Yeah. Sharapova only won twice at yeah, a 27 contest. That's why I say, like, that's she not a has no competition because she is that much better than everybody else. Well, that's it, because, I mean, that's the thing for me that, you know, I, and I feel like that's a really good way of, of declaring of, of kind of like the greatest athletes, because when you look at Muhammad Ali, you know, obviously the, the big rival was him and Joe Frazier. Had three fights. He won two and Joe won one. But that's it. You know, that's I mean, a bigger, you know, what, what about LeBron? You know, what, what about all these other guys? Michael Jordan. Again, like, they just dominate. I mean, you, know? so. you know Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson had no rival. Well, in he his peak, everybody in, out. Like, literally, in, in Mike Tyson's prime, it was, he was, uh, he's scary. He, he can't be. Everybody you know? out. Floyd Mayweather? Ooh, Floyd is a good one. Because I feel like people don't give Floyd enough credit. Because they be dodging all the time? Because he's an ass. Like, if I'm (laughs) I'm a boxer, I'm not going to stand in there and try and get hit. Well, here's the thing, right? Because, again, I think athletic ability plays a huge part (laughs) when it comes to being an athlete, right? So when you look at a guy like LeBron, okay, how he continues to prove why he's – the best athlete right now, it's because of how old he is. It's kind of like with Brady, but again, with basketball, you know, still he's still aging like fine wine. Best player in basketball. I mean, to me, he is. I don't care if you say Giannis or you throw anybody else. I mean, it's LeBron James. Okay. So, um, but with, with Brady, let's be honest here. I mean, he, he's had a good season, obviously. He's not the best quarterback in the league. So, and he didn't allow. Like, I, he, you know, he did not allow the Chiefs to score nine points. He didn't do that. That was a defense. Yeah. But there are arguments, like, I guess, and you can do this with all team sports. But the thing about football, when you put somebody in football in the greatest athlete of all time, you have to take into account that they don't play both sides of the ball. That, that, that's, that's the Baseball. thing. That, that's why there's so many Brady haters, like Jensen Jennings, but, you know, so that he's been, that he, he's been led to these Super Bowls. To me, I could see that point of view. However, you still can't deny what Brady has done in the league, and you cannot deny the stats because Brady is a great quarterback. He's one of the best. But when you look at a skilled quarterback, let's be honest here, is he the most skilled quarterback in the history of the NFL? He's definitely not. When it comes to football IQ, the winning mentality, he's up there. But I look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and I hate to be biased. I look at a guy like Dan Marino and what he's done. (laughs) Okay, this might be a little hyperbolic. But if we're talking about most skilled, and I know this kind of changed the conversation, most skilled quarterback. Mahomes, Mahomes is there. I go Patrick Mahomes. He's there. He's He's right there. He's got to be right there. 
in terms of athletic ability and the throws he makes are insane. I mean, if you want to talk about like most talented, most skilled quarterbacks of all time, you got to have Mahomes up there. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, Marino, Cam Newton, who pretty much changed the way football, modern football was played. Um, Michael Vick in terms of talent. But like we said, winners, Tom Brady is the best winner in football. Absolutely. One of the best yeah. winning athletes. But is he the best athlete of all time? No. We can we can stop that right there. I don't know if you I think I'm surprised that no one's mentioned this. No, I don't think anyone's mentioned Michael Jordan's name. We did. Uh, no, we did. We you mentioned did. him while you were in the bathroom, but even with Michael Jordan, you know, we talk about like winning, how much winning means to being the greatest athlete of all time. Bill Russell got 11 of them trophies as a player and I think as a player and a coach. Especially in a difficult era for for Bill Russell. Well, speaking of that, like old-time basketball, you know, because my dad made a list of his own, and he put an interesting name, and he put Will Chamberlain in his list. Because, I mean, Will Chamberlain, his his stats are disgusting. You know, they are un- – It was nobody it, over – uh, It's kind of like the Gretzky comparison where, like, literally – Will Chamberlain every story is that, power, every and everybody else is Will Chamberlain. They had to change the rules so Wilt Chamberlain didn't have it easy. They moved the, they made the rim high. Raised tower. the rim. And everybody else was six, nine, and under. So let me let me ask you guys another question because I saw this. This is in my dad's list, and I had to fight with him about that, but these are other people's lists as well. They put, and I, I don't know how much time we have left on here, but I just want to bring up one more name here. Uh, when talking about Babe Ruth, okay? Because here's the thing about Babe Ruth, right? Is that at the time, the guy was amazing. However, when you look back at it, the guy's diet was was tobacco and hot dogs. So <laughs> he was we fat. Talk about, we talk about athletic ability. I would not put Babe Ruth there, even though the guy hit over seven hundred home runs with that, with eat with ease. That's just, I'm just saying. Know. Our cigarettes Babe don't be in the conversation too. Who? Babe Ruth played at a time no black people were allowed in the league. So like. That's then, Jackie Robinson. Then, then Josh Gibson comes with yeah, that's, that's because you know Hank Aaron broke his record. One more question. One more question. I'm sorry to interrupt. If he didn't do the steroid thing, I think Barry Bonds would be up there. Even before the steroids, Barry Bonds was amazing. Uh, but 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 for him, like the the steroids, you can't. Well, absolutely, that's why. If it wasn't for the steroids, I mean, he, you know. Now I have a question when it comes to baseball, and I don't know how you guys are gonna respond to this one, but in terms of greatest athlete, the baseball name that I've seen there was Derek Jeter. I've seen Jeter <laughs> in the greatest athlete because I guess the argument was not only did he win, he also was a pretty good athlete. Can't deny it. But when it comes to like stats, you know, when you look at when you look at because obviously baseball, like out of all the sports out there, like stats are in baseball, they it's huge, right? So with Derek Jeter, he he definitely had that winning mentality. He had that, you know, and he, and he was a leader. Um, but when you look, when you look at guys, the stats plays huge, you know. Again, we we mentioned a couple of players. You look at Mike Trout now. You know, Mike Trout has dominated baseball. He's the best player every single year you know obviously like a guy like Fernando Tatis looks great and he could dominate but 
Mike Trout, I mean, he's not up to athletes yet because, again, sadly, baseball is also that team sport where, like, you need people around you to win. You know, he he doesn't pitch the ball. He can't throw 100 miles per hour. You know, he can't throw a fastball. So, it's hard. Just play in the uh, NL, and a pitcher has to hit in the NL. <laughs> now, for from from a pitcher standpoint, and there is a bit of a bias here personally, I can't say that he was the best of all time because he passed early, but Jose Fernandez at one point was on track to be arguably not only the best player in Marlins history, but one of the best pitchers of all time. And not to mention, he can hit the ball pretty well too. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to when he hit that home run against the Braves and Brian McCain got pretty pissed at him because <laughs> he stared the ball down. That was one of the best moments I've ever seen. But like, I'm also thinking with other baseball players, uh, Josh Gibson, the, um, the, the Negro Leagues catcher, who I think he hit over 800 home runs yeah. in his career. That, like, that if – I don't know if that league is recognized the same way as Major League Baseball is. Personally, I think it should be because, you know, when you look at the time, African-Americans weren't, you know, considered to be at the same level as white people. Clearly, they were wrong. Anyways, Josh Gibson, I think, should also be in that conversation, not just for best baseball player of all time, but, you know, best individual athlete in the team sport. And, you know, this will be the last thing that kind of saying. Then we'll move on to some the final thing that we had uh, scheduled for today. But if we talk about baseball, I think one of the guys we have to mention is Randy Johnson. In terms of pitchers and pitching, He's arguably – he was arguably the best in the world for a long time. He killed a bird with one of his pitches. He killed a bird with a pitch. That's oh, unreal. Oh. But, you know, this greatest athlete of all time, we could potentially have a whole nother podcast devoted to that. Yeah, move we'll, on. Let's move we'll on. move yeah, on. We could go on for hours. The final thing, we're going to go over to the NBA. And the NBA recently released their uh, first fan returns from NBA All-Star Voting. I'm going to read them off for you guys and let me know what you guys think. In the Western Conference, front court, leading the NBA in general and leading also the Western Conference front court is LeBron James. So the top 10 goes LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Zion Williamson, Andrew Wiggins, Christian Wood, Brandon Ingram, and Carmelo Anthony in the front court for the Western Conference. Andrew Wiggins? Hold on, let me finish, let me finish. Western Conference guards. Steph Curry leads all Western Conference guards in voting, followed by Luka Doncic, then Damian Lillard, John Morant, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, CJ McCollum, Shy Gilders Alexander, and Clay Thompson. So those are the Western Conference guys in terms of all-star fan returns, fan voting. Um, we'll start off with Richard. What do you think of that first return? Well, I'm not surprised that uh, people voted Clay Thompson to be in the top 10. That's not a surprise. Even though he's out for the rest of the season, of course, people will vote him in just because Melo's on the list. And then in the East, you got Derrick Rose. I do want to see Derrick Rose playing an all-star game again. And since he's back in New York, maybe he'll, maybe he might get the chance. Who knows? Well, um, it's not a surprise. Like the, the leaders are what I expected. The bottom... Of course, I mean, no one expected LeBron James to have the most votes in the well, world. Come on. Well, Richard mentioned the East, and I'll talk. About, I'll give you the East numbers so far. In the Eastern Conference front court, we have Kevin Durant, 
who leads all Eastern Conference players with over 2 million votes. Then number two is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Then we have Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are five and six. Damanis Sabonis, Julius Randle, Gordon Hayward, and Jeremy Grant round out the top 10 for the Eastern Conference front court. For the guards, number one is Bradley Beal, then Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, Trey Young, Colin Sexton, Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, and Ben Simmons round out your top 10 for the guards. So now right. I, I probably won't even show up. I just want to say you you announced Giannis's name beautifully. Thank you. I, I've been working on that since he came into the league. I'm going to say Antetokounmpo perfectly every time I get the chance just to flex it. But um, we'll go over to Zach, resident Heat fan, as you can see. What do you think about Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo being that all-star voting and their place? How, in how did you know I was a Heat fan? I don't know. I Just a hunch. Okay, just making sure. Um, no, I mean, listen, I, I think it's, it's business as usual, even though obviously Jimmy Butler had to miss a lot of games because of you know, COVID issues and stuff like that. Um, and the Heat have been kind of in a slump. We know this. Um, but, I mean, the Heat need Jimmy Butler, and Bam has been playing beautifully. We, we, we've known this from Bam. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that hopefully they're on their way to their, both of those guys having their second straight all-star appearance, hopefully. Um, so it, that's good with me. And, I, and I, there's really no other Heat player that I think really deserves a spot in the All-Star game, personally, in my opinion, because uh, those guys are like the, the, the whole, you know, the soul of that team, especially Jimmy, obviously. But Bam is huge when it comes to passing, when it comes to scoring. And again, we've seen he, he's in the funny thing is, in my opinion, he's not even at his peak yet. You know, the guy we see his kind of, you know, evolvedness, you know, offensively. He's, he's shooting mid-range. He's getting in the post more. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm liking that very much. So I think those two uh, are deserving. Um, but obviously, Jimmy has missed a lot of games. So the fact that the fans kind of, you know, gave him the, gave him the benefit of the doubt is, is pretty cool, too. Um, if, you know, I give my reflections on the um, fan returns from the first round of voting. I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is Brandon Ingram being ninth in Western Conference front court behind – Andrew Wiggins. Can I ask a question? Is there some? Is there a meme I'm saying about Andrew Wiggins or? Andrew Wiggins is the best worst player or the worst best player in the history of, the, of basketball. Is he doing He's high tier mid? Is he doing good? Is there? Is there? Is he deserving of being Honestly, that? He's not doing that bad. He's. He isn't. This is one of his best years. Um, I think he's top ten in the NBA in blocks, which is uh, yeah. shocking considering he's a small forward, but. When you think about Brandon Ingram and what he's done for New Orleans, him along with Zion, he's got to make the all-star game. He leads that team of points. He's pretty much their, like, functioning offense. Him and Zion are their main two, like, initiators of offense. So I'm a little surprised to see Andrew Wiggins get more votes than Brandon Ingram. Um, on the Eastern Conference side, um, I mean, it came out as I expected. Um Jalen Brown being fourth among guards is well-deserved because I'd argue he's been the best player for Boston this year in terms of consistency. But the name that really stands out from the great land of Cleveland, Ohio, Colin Sexton being seventh. And, you know, they have uh, Sexland over there, uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. I had to say that. I, had, I just <laughs> – Fans, I, ha I just had to say the name on the podcast. 
I had to say name sex land on the podcast because it's amazing. But he's turned in a career year, averaging 25 points, shooting amazing from three point. This is one of those years where you're like, yeah, I could definitely see a bunch of these guys making the all-star game. Like this is going to be a year where again, some guys get left off and we're going to be like, Oh, they should have made it. There's a hundred percent chance he should have made it. Like, with the Brad Beal discussion last year where Brad Beal averaged 30 points and didn't make the all-star game. There's definitely going to be one of those guys who gets left off and it's like, wow, he didn't make it. And I mean, if we want to talk about guys who like are having a great year, Gordon Hayward apparently going to Charlotte has revitalized his career. He wasn't good. <laughs> he wasn't playing good in a blue state. So he had to go to a red state. Oh, there it is. <laughs> It's true. It really is. Got him. <laughs> boy, nah, man. He saw what happened at the Capitol, and he's like, boy, I got to step my game up. <laughs> uh, yeah, Gordon Hayward's been playing great for Charlotte. Charlotte's been one of those teams that's really surprised me early on this season. You know, with the way he, the mellow ball played. They don't play defense, but, like, they're going to score. And LaMelo Ball's slowly hitting his stride. Um, Colby, I think I think I know where Colby's going to go with his uh, surprising um, NBA All-Star voting returns. There is an Oklahoma City Thunder player on this, on this list, Shai Gildas-Alexander. We haven't really paid much attention to the Thunder because, you know, they traded everybody that, was, that had any semblance of being good. But, you Other know, than it's literally only Shea Gilchrist Alexander and Dort. Uh, what have you thought so far about his season? I've been watching a lot more hockey than basketball. I've maybe watched a total of maybe like one quarter of basketball this whole season, but it's I'm happy Shea's there. He's doing good. Lou, uh, Lou Dort's the greatest player of all time, and uh, that's it. We are we are the Lou Dort fan club. Other than. You know what? We need to make ourselves a fan club. We are, we're going to be an Iggy Allen and Lou Dort fan club. I'll start that. <laughs> this, this podcast is now a Iggy Allen stan account and a Lou Dort stan account. This is now a thing. This is canon. I'm letting you guys know we will only be co- posting content about Iggy Allen and Lou Dort from now on. But um, <laughs> I think I think that'll be it for our uh, normal shenanigans here at the U Press Play Sports Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Once again, from staff writer Zach Weinberger, editor in chief Colby Guy, sports editor Richard Pereira, and photo editor Eston Parker. I'm business manager, business manager. Let me say that right. I can pronounce Antetokounmpo, but I can't pronounce business. <laughs> Lord, JP Acosta. Make sure to like, subscribe, review. If you don't give us five stars, you're going to make us sad. You don't want to make a bunch of poor college kids sad. Look at that face from Eston. That's pure sadness. You don't want to make him sad. But that's enough of our shenanigans. Have a great (laughs) night. Have a great week. Have a great week, everyone. And now, the blooper reel featuring my baby sister and Richard playing NBA content from his computer. The men's soccer team actually plays tomorrow. Tuesday, or when this yeah. game is probably be Tuesday, they'll have played Stetson at, Bo- at Boca Raton, FAU Soccer Stadium. Then on February 19th, they'll play Jacksonville University at Jacksonville. So there is enough time for FAU soccer teams, both men's and women's, 
to kind of turn around their seasons, try and get on pace. But you know, we're gonna go into women's basketball. Same with Melo. They uh, make do all the plays. Hold up a second. All the no look assists. Nope. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna be able to edit that out, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 